Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, we welcome another guest to the Three Times Club. Today on the show, Walter Schreifels is back on the show. For those of you who don't know, Walter was in Gorilla Biscuits, Quicksand, Youth of the Day, Warzone, Rival Schools, World's Fastest Car, uh, Dead Heavens. Um, and, like, there's tons more. I could probably just do a whole show listing off Walter's band, but more on that in a second. At first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can head over to the website, DamienAbraham.com. There's an email address there. You can send me an email. You can find me on various forms of social media, at Left for Damien. If you want to get in touch with us and use Facebook, there's a Facebook page. It's Turn Out a Punk. Uh, no, it's Facebook.com slash Turn Out a Punk. If you don't use Facebook and you want to, you know, find out what gets posted on that Facebook page, you can find all that stuff over at turnoutapunk.tumblr.com. And if you do go to the Facebook page, you can send me a message. My brother, Tristan Abraham, the producer of the show, runs that thing. He'll get the message to me. So there's lots of ways for us to communicate. And right now... I might be a little slow on that communication because there's a lot of travel going on. As you've kind of noticed, this podcast has been, you know, consistent. <laughs> I'm not going to say it hasn't been consistent, but it, it hasn't been there consistently on time. So that has been because of all this travel I'm doing. But I assure you, you can send me those messages and my brother will get back to you and we will figure it all out. Also, I got to say thank you very, very much to the good people at Vans. Vans, of course, has come on as a sponsor of this show. And as such, they've made it possible for me to keep doing this thing and pay for the website and pay for the hosting and all that kind of BS crap that you have to pay for when you're doing a free podcast. So thank you very much to the good people at Vans. And uh, I don't, they don't make me do anything. I don't have to pick guests based on who they pick. They've been really cool about the way this podcast has been uh, less than on time as of late. They've, you know, it's awesome. So I really appreciate everyone at Vans for what they've done for this thing and, and letting me keep doing this and letting you keep uh, hearing this. Because it got expensive. It was definitely getting into uh, my savings doing a free podcast. So thank you very much to the good people at Vans for making this thing possible. Also, if you want to support this show, like like the sponsor does, you can do it without giving us money. We're never going to ask you to fill out surveys or, you know, probably never going to ask you to give me money or anything like that. I'm not going to say never because there might become a day where I'm going to ask you guys to send me money because I will need it desperately. So I'm not going to, that probably will never happen, but I can tell you that if you want to support the show, there's a way to do it and it's free. If you use iTunes, you go to iTunes, you subscribe to this podcast, you write a review, you rate it. If you don't use iTunes, the best way to support this show is just by telling all of your friends. Tell everyone you know. Spread that word. Speaking of spreading the word, we got to spread the word about today's show because today's show is it's awesome. I got to sit down and talk to, and, and this is with no hyperbole do I say this, one of my favorite people in the music industry. I'm going to say he's like top five people I've met in music. Of course, I was a massive fan before I got to meet him. And unlike a lot of people, not a lot, but a you know, about half the people I've gone to meet that I was a big fan of growing up, he exceeded my expectations. He is one of those people that I met and I was just like, this guy can't be this nice. And I've talked to a lot of friends in bands and they say the same thing. Walter is someone who 
just oozes a positivity, you know? Like, it, anyway, we, we get into it on the show a little bit, and uh, then we dispel that a little bit on the show as well. But I'm going to let you listen to the show and hear all that sort of stuff. I have to say thank you to my good friend, my probably my best friend, Zach Felberg, for uh, letting this all go down at his house last minute. I called him because there was a scheduling change, and we... we uh, we, we had to switch locations, and so thank you, Zach. You're the best for letting me do this in your house. And he wasn't even there. He just gave me the keys. I went in and uh, recorded the podcast at his house. He wasn't even there. Walter drank some of his wine. Zach was cool with it. Thank you, Zach, because uh, Walter liked that wine, and we had a good time. Um, but I could go on forever talking about this show and talking about uh, Walter because it's awesome, And but you're going to hear it in a second, so why will I waste any more of your time? I do have to say thank Thank you very much to Jesse Locke, who's the guy who made this all possible. Jesse Locke is an amazing author. He plays in you know great bands, like uh, a real uh, renaissance man of punk rock. Uh, check out his book on Simply Saucer. Someone you should know. Um, Jesse, thank you so much for making this possible. So everyone, now, please sit back and relax and enjoy the third appearance of Walter Schreifels on Turned Out Up. Punk. Literally, my first uh, line of questioning uh-huh. was going to be all about how, to me, you're like one of the most positive forces yeah. in music I've ever met, and how yeah. I was discussing with a mutual friend of ours today uh-huh. how you're like this like one beacon of hope oh, in wow. the music industry where you meet this person that you're like, this is one of my heroes, and then you meet them and they actually like live up to it and kind of exceed your expectations of what you thought that interaction would go like. Okay, that's nice. And then you hear talk, you're talking about society crumbling. So even the most positive guy is talking about the world coming to an end. I'm positive. <laughs> I'm positive society's falling apart. I was watching, um, uh, I was watching, what is it, not Morton Downey, but uh, uh, Jerry Springer. Yeah. Like Jerry Springer used to be awful, right? Yeah. And But he would at least have chairs where the guests would be able to walk out and sit in the chair and talk about something for like a few minutes, you know, and then eventually it would turn into a fight maybe. Yeah. Now they don't even have chairs anymore. The people just come out with the bodyguards and they just say some crazy shit to each other and they just hit each other. That's the show now. <laughs> It's like that show, it's like mi- Middle Ages entertainment where you have the two puppets come out and they smack each yeah, other. Yeah, Punch and Judy shows. Punch and Judy. Yeah. Like, that's, so, okay. Well, that's better what I thought. I thought you were going to be like, I was watching Jerry Springer and it's now like the McLaughlin Report compared oh, to the okay. rest of society. Yeah, that would be interesting too. That would be more of a sign of the apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just mean about the general decline <laughs> or, or what people have to do to get your attention, Yeah, you know, in, in today. And of course, like, I think... People, there's the greater evidence of society falling apart or whatever, mm-hmm. the coarsening of it. But, um, you know, I have uh, all different coping mechanisms for that and, and uh, you know, positive things to say. But, oof. Yeah. Well, it's, it's weird to have to, like, realize that, like, all, like, those bummer lyrics from hardcore records uh-huh. were almost like prophecies. And now we're living in... yeah. You know this dystopic kind yeah. of reality. There's but it's the hardcore people that are going to save it. You know the hardcore ones that are true. fighting for for you know the um, well. I don't know if that's really true. Either, <laughs> yeah, I was going to be like that. To be I'm honest, like, I said I'm just true. trying. To, I'm just trying to pull some, make some <laughs> lemonade out of these fucking lemons. But uh, but you know the the cool thing is like that community of people are the people that um, have a 
you know, an awareness yeah. or trying to like, they're, they're supporting different causes, making you, yeah, aware of different things. You know, if you're on Instagram, all these people that I know from hardcore are like, you know, touting one thing or the other. I mean, because of who I follow, it's more, um, I think, environmental, uh, you know, some people will just point at the absurdity of, of Trump and whatever bullshit that he said. But um, I think that people are engaged and involved because they got into this thing that they were initially involved and engaged in anyway. They were making the record labels, booking the shows and stuff like that. So it comes yeah. But whatever, you know. No, but it's... Hardcore's like, great. No, but, but you're right. Like, like it, 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 you know, like, this is the whole principle behind why I started the show. Is like, if you go through everything that's cool... Mm-hmm. Chances are the person behind it started right. out like maybe into hip hop, but if right. not, one hundred percent they're a yeah. punk kid. Chances are they know who the Bad Brains are. Yep. Next Definitely. level, big Gnostic Front. They probably know who Minor Threat is. Yeah. And if they don't, they will find out because they should. They know that the people around them that are given coming up with the cool ideas are. I think like the real. I think the thing that actually probably like put that germ in my head originally was probably that when that Paul Frank. Gorilla Biscuits collab happened. Oh, good. Because it was just like, how did this happen? Like, how did this guy yeah. that makes like children's books that we because I was working at a oh toy yeah, it's store. a real it's a real head scratcher. Yeah, Paul Frank, their symbols like a gorilla. Yeah, monkey. Yeah, exactly. How would these guys <laughs> think to do a collaboration with Gorilla Biscuits? No, but like, but he well, must yeah, have they been were a hardcore, hardcore kids. Yeah. They're all Southern California hardcore kids. He yeah. was. He uh, yeah. I, that's who, who those you know, especially out on the West Coast. There's all, um, that's where all these apparel companies are. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? All the skate apparel, surf apparel, and all those people are in hardcore. I mean, that's skateboarding. So many kids find out about um, punk through Thrasher magazine yeah. in the 80s. You know, yeah. that's what, like, you know, like Supreme does a YOT shirt because YOT was in Thrasher in the 80s when all this, like, kind of classic stuff was happening. Sort of like Supreme dudes, hardcore kids? Are they like, or is it like just like one person of that company? Or is I don't like- know those guys personally, um, but uh, they made a Youth Today shirt. Yeah, I know. That's why I like. I always like. Okay. I wonder when when this stuff happens. You know, I'm, I don't even wonder. Like, I try and actively find out. Like- yeah, and I've seen other ones too. There was another one. I was walking by the shop in the uh, in Soho, and I walked by, and there's like a Youth Today. There's Ray jumping in the air, you know, from that one seven inch and it says silence equals death under it, which is like the slogan yeah. of a gay men's health crisis yeah. in the eighties. And, uh, which I thought was a cool <laughs> juxtaposition. juxtaposition. Yeah. I, it just kind of did something in my head that was kind of cool, but I like shit, you know? So I walked in there and I said, uh, yeah, you know, this is a great sweatshirt. I'm actually in this band, you know, uh, that from the guy on it. And, uh, and it was two young kids probably just didn't know what the hell was going on, but they're probably just thinking, if this guy makes it gets loud or something like this, am I getting in trouble with the boss? So they just gave me, yeah, take one, take whatever you want. <laughs> so I, I took one. Uh, I don't, I want to wear it, but I haven't found time. I haven't found the occasion, but I guess, you know, it's getting cold again. It's so, getting cold. So maybe I got to dig up my silence equals death. That's uh, probably like an $800 sweatshirt too. Oh, it was not cheap. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna it wasn't, that. it was like in the hundreds of dollars. It was like $160 or something sweatshirt. It's just like sweatshirt. It's amazing how we've moved to such a point in this like era of entitlement. And I say this as a very entitled person as well. God bless you. But, uh, but uh, like it's amazing how we look at uh, this this period where someone can take your face, put it on a T-shirt, sell it for hundreds of dollars, yeah, and you'd be none the wiser. Like I don't think Ray knows about this, right? Um, no, but I think after a while, 
He might know about it, but I think he probably doesn't. Uh, but I think that the idea is, you know, in something that, you know, I feel as a, as a musician putting things together, and you're probably the same way, but you're thinking like, I love this song. If I can take this idea and put my this other thing into it, then it'll be something else. And sometimes I do things that I'm like, oh my God, I'm like going to get called out on this. And I never get called out. And you're just ripping things off yeah. and putting them together by changing the context yeah. of it. So once he puts silence equals death under it, he's got a legal argument right there. So then I got to get a lawyer, or Ray does. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm not going to do it for sure. Neither is Ray. Uh, you know what I mean? So they probably know that, you know, and they're, they're probably, obviously they're fans. Does that philosophy for you extend to like people doing audio bootlegs of stuff that you do too? Because like you're someone who I would argue that, no, not your most uh -huh. famous works uh -huh. or your greatest works, yeah. but certainly two of your more champion works are both bootleg recordings or yeah. only exist in bootleg recordings. Yeah, so I guess maybe because of that, I don't get too pissed off about it, but I, I'm not encouraging that. But um, I think the Moondog thing got bootlegged and within the packaging, I don't know if you have the original, but yeah. it put the quicksand like one sheet, which sounds so cheesy. So this guy had went to the effort to like bootleg the record as a way to sort of spite the sellout band. Like this is the cool band, Moondog, which was, you know, for yeah. anybody, it's just... It's a, uh, this band that I Oh, did. it's been talked about on this show. Okay, so maybe, it's come maybe, up. maybe your <laughs> listeners know what it is. Yeah, anyway, like... um, so I was kind of pissed at that because at that time in the 90s, if you signed to a major label, there you were going to get some flack for it. Yeah. And then the other thing, but ultimately that, the, that recording and that thing has just been something that's kind of come back as almost like a feather in my cap. People are like, oh, please press the Moondogs. Yeah. So it's like, nah, I can't do it. <laughs> because... Then if I do that, then it doesn't. It's not this anymore. It's not that special thing. You've got lots of other projects that haven't come out, and lots yeah. of other things that. Yeah, never... and to be honest, I don't want to do it because I think it's just. I don't know. It's just weird when you see yourself in an outfit when at some time it's like I know that it's. I think that there's parts of that window I think that are really good, but there's parts that I just don't. I don't feel the need to. I don't want to put a post telling people to get it or yeah. I just don't. I'm cool with it. <laughs> Where it is, you know, some things. Not yeah. everything has to be mined. Yeah, I know. And um, and the other one was the the there was a demo of uh, of me singing the uh, the the Start Today album of Gorilla Biscuits, and uh, and that cassette somehow got out, and that got bootlegged, and it became uh, I think it's either Wally or Walter sings the hits, and it looks like it's Walter sings the hits. Walter yeah. sings the hits. So uh, so wait, so both of those, neither of those were like official releases like those weren't demo tapes that were f circulating like so that must have been like just oh it could be people tape trading if it was in digital time we could probably find the culprit who was doing it yeah <laughs> you know? i think we could probably find out the culprits now too well i, I know we who both, it is we I, both know both of the culprits i know who it is like uh but i uh uh the walter sings a hit at some point i was hanging out with uh, steve ioki and he uh Fest to me that he was the one that did uh, Walter Sings the Hits, and I just thought that is so cool. Actually, but you know he's got a Grill Biscuits back. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. And like he's, uh, he, I, I knew that. I think I knew that he bootlegged it before you did because it was like one of those things that people talked about in like no hardcore idea. gossip. And I thought it was cool that he was he came up to me and told me that and was, and uh, you know and then you talk about people that are involved in hardcore that are doing things because he was see. scared of your reaction I remember him specifically saying like don't tell those guys I don't want them to sue me I can understand that you know you know what I mean and just or yeah. just I can be pissed about it yeah you know, and especially like being from the scene that you're from which is something else I want to talk yeah. about there's so many things I want to talk about yeah but, but being from the scene that you're from 
like, I imagine there's a lot of fear, you know, that, uh, yeah, I, I definitely bring a lot of fear. In <laughs> no, not you, obviously, but I mean like that scene in general, like <laughs> yeah. New York hardcore, especially like, right. There's a the threat of violence. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's definitely like, you know, yeah. but you're like, you know, and that you were always, it seems like, were you always this positive? Um, well, I'm just like, uh, I guess I'm an optimistic kind of person, but of course, like I'm a normal freaking person. I'm not walking around thinking like, oh, this is great. But I, I feel like through Gorilla Biscuits, for example, like I kind of set some sort of a tone. And through people that I met in uh, coming up as a musician, you know, I, I guess it's just my character in some way. But um, like I remember meeting Craig from, the, the, he was in Youth Today at the time. Yeah. And Youth Today were like the ultimate band for me at that time. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, or maybe I met him when he was in Straight Ahead, but I, I, I picture it at CB's after Youth Today had just played. It was an insanely great show. And, uh, and just meeting Craig. And he was just like the nicest guy ever. And I was like, here I am in this scene, you know, this new world where you can just walk up to the stage, watch the band, and then meet the guy in the band and talk to him, and they'll be nice to you. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas in the normal world that you would have come into, it would be like you're going to try to get the best tickets that you can get, and ultimately you're going to be very far from the band, and you're not going to meet them. And if they did, you would expect them to be dicks to you. But you and I both know that had you picked another member of Youth of the Day... Oh, it could have been totally something it different. It could have been totally different. But I picked Craig. Craig, and Craig's still He's that the sweetest guy, guy in the that, world. Yeah, like even me, like, you know... 10 or whatever years later, when I saw Sick of It All, yeah. I had the went up to him, talked to him about Straight Ahead, and he was cool totally about cool, it. Right? And it was like, this is amazing. And to this day, I still have that. But there's, you know, it would be naive to pretend that everyone in the scene that we're from is yeah, that you could, it couldn't cool. Expe- you, couldn't, you couldn't expect that from somebody. Somebody could be totally cool, and they wouldn't be cool to you in that circumstance. Yeah. But meeting Craig that time made me think, that's how people should be. Yeah. Right? Like, you're saying, wow, you know, I really like your... Especially in hardcore, because it's all about meeting people. So I think on on that kind of degree, I'm pretty nice and friendly on that level. And um, and then if it's... Uh, you know, but I'm also like, if I don't... I try to... I can't... It can't you know what I mean? Like, you also have to be a normal person. So yeah. I, I think I'm an optimistic, cool person i like to think that i would say definitely like you know you know but you have to also be normal and and yeah and i'm not saying you have to be like 100 percent on all the time Mm -hmm. but i think like you know you know like i've I've met a lot of people now in music that i wanted to meet and it was like i was saying at the top of the show and the person i was talking to was dallas Mm -hmm. and he's another he's someone that he and i both talked about this how you're like this guy that you meet and you're like oh he's actually Better than I thought it would be oh, in man, the ideal cool. situation, yeah. you know, and it's rare because yeah. we live in an industry where you get cynical very quickly. Yeah. Well, I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. When you guys, though, like this goes back to the Moondog 7-inch, mm-hmm. because you guys did a jump that I think was even more extreme uh-huh. than if you had made that jump from like Gorilla Biscuits to a major label because uh-huh. you were kind of like, was Moondog like part of that uh, ABC No Rio scene? Yeah. I mean, what for me, the, um, the impetus was... I guess I was the the whole uh, hardcore scene that you know the um, the kind of really cool one that I felt part of and kind of came up in just sort of fell apart because a lot of the bands signed to uh, you know well like say Sick of It All signed to In Effect and these bands started to get like some rock little, hotel yeah started yeah. to get into some sort of like we're going to be bigger so they're trying to get into 
you know, that maybe we can cross over and get some metal fans become like a bigger band, you know, and these bands were great. They were deserving of being big. I Mm -hmm. mean, like the Chromax in a different world or, you know, all these bands, Bad Brains, all these kind of groups were, were worthy and way better than what the masses were being sold. But, you know, that's, it it wasn't right. But, um, the main thing was, is they were all going on tour. So then while all those bands were going on tour, I think the scene in in New York kind of just, fell apart a little bit and it got really violent it just maybe got too big and then um then it got violent just people were going just to be like okay well this is hardcore so we can just it's about violence because it seems like it would be Mm -hmm. you know and um and it probably was that way before i got there in in some ways when i got into it it was like metal crossover time like coc were the biggest band and so there was an influx of metal kids and still like GBH punk kind of kids that wanted to be down at CBGBs, you know what I mean? That so and then there was these kind of like old guard hardcore kids, which would be, you know, the kind of Jimmy Gestapo. Yeah, Jimmy Gestapo, Harley Flanagan yeah. kind of contingent. Yeah. And um those guys were hard, right? Like those guys was- were legit. I was not uh, yeah, I wouldn't I mean they were Jimmy's super cool and they were all really cool, but they were also capable of of, uh, you know, th- there were stories of violence that you did not want to be on the receiving end of. Yeah. So <laughs> while, you, while I, I wanted to be friends with meet all the people in the room as much as I did, you know, I was careful to some extent yeah. to not be caught out there. Mm-hmm. And what I think happened once it kind of got big in some way, it fell apart. So anyway, getting back to Moondog, I, and even the straight edge part of it. So what had happened, another thing that I would blame on it was um, that it, you know, or not blame, but... A thing that happened was... A tribute to it. A tribute is the right word. Um, That the straight edge bands started to just play together. And so... And it was just being so well um, curated in a sense. And and all the clothing and all that kind of stuff was so identifiable. So what ended up happening was the shows would just be all the same kids. So the Mm -hmm. GBH kids knew not to be there. The, uh, The kind of street New York hardcore kids were not interested in that. And um, so you'd have these kind of very ritualized, like, shows. I don't know. I just started to get bored with, with it, you know, not to sound uh, like that it wasn't cool or that it isn't cool to this day because I really feel that it is. But musically, I wanted to get out of that, um, the box of mm-hmm. it. And um, so uh, I thought the cool stuff was happening at ABC No Rio. So what was the bands that, like, really drew you to that? Like just the people, it was, it was more people. than okay. more than the bands. But I mean, there was cool bands like Citizens Arrest. I liked yeah. Rorschach. I liked um, uh, Go. I just liked the the people and the idea that they weren't the bands there loved music, loved the the community, and they weren't trying to conform to um, you know the Revelation sound. And they weren't. They certainly weren't about violence, mm-hmm. and they were more socially conscious, conscious kind of people. And I felt like more aligned with that part. Of, you know, that's just where more where I was at as far as hardcore was concerned. So I thought like I wanted to m- make my new band be part of that and not part of. Although we did like um, you know shows at the Ritz and bigger shows because you know had those kind of like connections to do it and I wasn't going to say no but um, but I thought that was where the scene was most interesting did you feel like was this like your revolution summer kind of moment what? it could have been yeah I mean I, I guess I didn't think of it in that in that context but it surely was that you know where yeah. people were not um, 
you know, they were just being more freaky and hippie-ish in a way. Like, and uh, so I guess if there's some sort of parallel to that. I, maybe that's just the course that these things mm-hmm. run, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I'd have to, it might be an interesting uh, thesis uh, paper kind of thing, you know what I mean? <laughs> to study like three or four different hardcore scenes and see, <laughs> see how the evolution, where they where they ended up with a revolution summer type. Oh, that'd time. be amazing. Well, no, yeah. but it's like, you don't really see it in Boston in the same way, yeah. right? Like you... You know, but you definitely see They didn't get to that level. They just didn't make it. You know, it's like there's different stages of the revolution. I mean, Marx will tell you (laughs) that there's just like not everyone gets to the last level. You can do an evolutionary diagram, too, of different stages of development of the hardcore kid. Oh, and also the touring thing. I was touring, too. So I was no longer in touch with a lot of the up-and-comers. And I think there was a lot of cool up-and-comers, but just the whole thing fell apart before they could really, you know gesticulate into the ultimate uh, form of them and I think those I don't know there's just so much cool I mean it's my high school years so I, it's fun to talk about <laughs> yeah, well I love talking about it too and it's not even my high school yeah so um, but uh, you know the bands on the New Breed compilation yeah. which I also thought found that very cool too I think yeah. there's a lot of great bands that's one of the best comps and I was away that summer so I wasn't really there for those bands but those bands didn't get to get to the next stage. Mm-hmm. So all those bands are kind of like in demo, like the famous demo. The altercation uh, demo. Yeah, yeah, altercation demo is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Outburst demo is yeah. great. And like, um, yeah, just there's so much, there was so much cool stuff. But I don't know, it started to just kind of fall apart. And just as a musician and as a person, you know, like you're, when you're a sophomore in high school, you're, you, you're probably very different by the time you're like 19, oh, 20. Yeah. You've seen the world a little bit, had a couple of experiences that that uh, you know are, are, are kind of outside that community that you're obsessed with, and and uh, and so I kind of just started to look elsewhere. And Moondog was the beginning of that, and that just evolved into Quicksand when Alan joined, and you know I think Sergio too probably because. It was something that I had already created, and they were joining that creation as opposed to um, doing something that was. We were all starting at the same point, and that really was what Quicksand was. Because there is like a a Moon Dog Flyer show that Quicksand actually plays, right? Yeah, yeah. Like there was, um, there, was there was a little overlap. There or? was a little overlap because Sergio played. Sam Siegler from Rival Schools yeah. played the the first Moon Dog show, and Sergio was in, and me and Tom. And I think Alan saw us play that day and eventually asked us if we were looking for a drummer. Because Sam, uh, yeah, this I hope your listeners really know what I can follow this. But it's so they if they like this podcast, trust me, they can follow. Okay, because they they're gonna have some internet work after this. But um, Sam uh, had to quit the band to be in Judge because Purcell. Um, said you can't be in two oh. bands, so he sh- he shut him shut him down. Um, yeah. But it was... Uh, so Judge was going for it? Were they going Judge for was it? Had, no, but that's the thing. At the time, I was just like, what are you guys even doing? You know what I mean? It was like at the end, of, like I didn't even... It was like, I didn't get it, but you know, I just kind of like, you know, made this kind of expression that I'm making right now. I said, all right, you know, respect. Okay. Uh, which, so, but anyway, Alan came in and obviously like Sam's a sick drummer, yeah. but the chemistry with Alan yeah. was the chemistry that kind of made it work the way it did. So how did that jump happen then? Because you go from being in arguably the most DIY hardcore scene Mm -hmm. New York hardcore Mm -hmm. ever really had to being on a major label Mm -hmm. in the wake of seeing all men, all so many other hardcore bands kind of crash and burn when that happened. So how did that whole like process start and how did you reconcile it? Like, um, I, at first 
you know, we first put out our, our uh, EP, yeah. the Quicksand EP, and I think that had a real kind of um, very, very, like, timely uh, attack to it, where it was combining a, a few different things, and uh, but it was, like, aggressive, but also kind of had this, like, rap cadence to it that was, like, you know, we were all, in New oh, York, we were all listening to, to hip-hop, like, at the same time, like, it's hard to put in perspective now after, you know... Rap metal, metal. Yeah. right? But yeah. there was a time when people that were into hardcore were just listening to hip hop, yeah, and yeah. at the same time because that's what was happening. So it was like a kind of Reese's peanut butter thing. It wasn't like a peanut butter cup, you know. Where well, it's like the Beastie Boys. Yeah, like, Beastie Boys you know, exactly were hardcore yeah. and hip hop. So it came was, out of hardcore and became hip hop. So it's like there's that connection. That was what the, Rick Rubin even played in that New York hardcore or noise hardcore band Hose. Yeah, Hose, right? So that was a thing. Um, but anyway, I'm talking about yeah, yeah. But getting back to quicksand. So anyway, I, you know, we, we did something that was really cool. And I think yeah. it hit, hit a couple different things, but by the time we got signed, we had discovered shoegaze and we were really into Sonic youth. Yeah. And basically we wanted to destroy that sound. <laughs> like we wanted to do something completely else, but or at least I did anyway. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we were, I mean, me, me, Sergio and Tom and even, and Alan too, we were just like listening to any EP that was coming out of England at the time. Cause my bloody Valentine just had set it off and there was so much yeah, stuff any coming creation out. Records. Yeah. Creation records, anything. And, you know, and, and we were very into Sonic Youth at that time and just stuff in that more dreamy, noisy category. And, um, and then we were getting signed and, you know, we we're getting signed based on that, EP that we had done that seemed years ago. So was it like a hardcore kid or a punk kid at Island that had heard the Revelation EP? Like, or how did that in fall that in atmosphere? Their hands? There was uh, there was when Nirvana came out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Everyone at the major label just like went, "What the hell <laughs> just happened?" Yeah. Because we were fine <laughs> with what we were doing. Okay, Guns N' Roses were exciting. That was we had a great time yeah. with that. Okay, but basically they were they were just selling shitloads of, of records by you know Cinderella yeah. and and bands that had some sort of like and I'm not even knocking that stuff. You know what I mean? It wasn't my taste, but um, when Nirvana came along, I think the people that were running the A and R departments didn't understand this whole world right they had just discovered a whole new world mm -hmm. because then you're looking you know okay the pixies were on a record label they were on a major at some point but they were like the pixies were just basically like the big they were like the rolling stones of they were in the top of that world <laughs> yeah but yeah. underneath there's so much and so everyone got signed you know sonic youth got signed nirvana got signed and i don't think the a and r staffs really knew what the hell was going on yeah and so there were and there was a lot of major labels then and a lot of a and r people looking to Sign a, the next Nirvana. I mean, whatever. I don't know if I'm. If that's, I'm sure that's pretty well understood by anybody that was following it. So, we were coming into this frenzied atmosphere where people and the record labels thought anything could be popular, and um, and so, on the one hand, I felt like the part of me that was like thinking, "Oh, it's cheesy to be on a major label," but the uh, you know, like Fugazi wouldn't do that. And you know, <laughs> like Ian, would, Ian would never do that. Yeah, he and, would never do that. And and so that was real. But the other side of it is like, are you crazy? Yeah. Like you're, tw I don't know. I was 21 years old. Like you'll have enough money that you could get a cool apartment, <laughs> yeah. be on a bus, get on TV, 
and play music in this way that you would not be able to do and you're worried that Ian is thinking about it and it's going to judge you like or like somebody like that's going to boot like the moon dog is not going to be happy with that and and you're going to and so what are you going to get some sort of award for being like the cool guy that didn't you know like how are you going to publicize your coolness that way it just seems stupid and just you know man it's my friends too like the rest of the band was like let's fucking do this so were you worried though because like you had seen like like quicksand is one of the only tasteful examples of a band that did that you know like know. you and and before a lot of those new york hardcore bands that tried to make that jump to the next level kind of died on the rocks yeah. with those records that came out so like were you nervous at all about like how this was going to go or were you just kind of like let's oh, just for see sure how for sure and i don't mean to sound cyn- too cynical about it because I think our experience, that whole Nirvana thing, like people didn't understand what could be popular. And so we benefited from that in yeah. a way because they, no one was, you know, you'd hear like, oh, they're going to come in and pick the single and tell you what to do and turn that up and make you sound corny. Even Nirvana complained about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, we did not experience that. I mean, we, we were able to fire our producer and we got to do all the <laughs> shit. We, you know, we like, we didn't want to record to a click track. You know, we yeah. finally gave in on that. Yeah. But, um, I mean, to some degree, it does get out of your hands because of the money involved and uh, and the amount of people involved. But um, I think we were able to pretty much, at least, maybe not in every single way, but to put ourselves in it. And I think that that's what people connected to. Like, it's like Nirvana didn't even really get to benefit from the post-Nirvana world, you know, like where they would have had control over their their work. Oh, it's like they never even got to, or Kurt at least never got to experience that. Yeah, you know, like what it was going to be like. Yeah, I mean, he he. Uh, I mean, that could be a, a piece of alt fiction, like <laughs> the world where Kurt lives, and <laughs> what Kurt's up to now, and what he's doing, and and uh, the world that we live in, and what bands are popular, and who did what. You gotta think it's gonna who's be who's president. There's it's like so everything. many. Well, yeah, that this is the world where the Cro-Mags are the number one band. Yeah, you were talking about. I mean, you it. could just you know write whatever you want. You know, just start with. Kurt lives. <laughs> and it's cool. You guess there's your title. Boom, kids. <laughs> did Kurt, you go? Kurt lives. Run with that. Did you? You got into Sonic Youth around that this time? Well, like, did you see them earlier? Had you come? Yeah, I mean, I was them? aware of Sonic Youth, and I had heard them. I mean, did they I'm, exist at all? Like, is like you know, did you know them as another youth band with Youth of Today? Oh, or? as soon as I as soon as I started looking at the Village Voice to see who was playing, I saw that there was a band called Sonic Youth. I was like, that's my band. <laughs> okay. And uh, I remember they were playing, and I was. My mom was just like, "You're not going to see Sonic Youth in the city tonight. You have school tomorrow. Forget it. It's not happening." And then eventually, I got to hear Sonic Youth, and I tried my hardest <laughs> to like it. I turned my ears like on the. I was like, "Oh, listen! You're not listening. Get up!" And it just was like. It's kind of like when I first heard the Grateful Dead. It's like the logo is so cool, the name is so cool. Yeah. You put it on, it's like chugging, <laughs> and you're just like, "Shit, this is not what I." This wanted. is not what I wanted. And so Sonic Youth was kind of like that. So yeah. I think when I was a little bit older, um, and it clicked. Well, they changed too sonically. Like, yeah, like I, I get, imagine you were hearing them for the first time around what eighty four, eighty five. Yeah, so like. Then by the time like eighty nine is rolling around, yeah. you know like Dirty's, you know sis- oh, yeah. sisters come out, yeah. Daydream Nation's coming yeah, out. Yeah, Daydream Nation you know? was the one that really got me. And then when Goo came out, yeah, it was just Goo. like easy listening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and it was and then it was easier to go back and listen to other stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, 
But yeah, you, I would say their videos on, uh, there was a show called IRS, The Cutting Edge, okay. uh, which was on MTV, like early MTV, and they would play Black Flag. They would play uh, Sonic Youth, like, um, what's the record with Long Leg on the cover? Um, Evol. Oh, Evol, and, yeah. 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 And um, so I was aware of them and would have been into it, but I mean, I was really like too... I was I was like in junior high, yeah, and, and they were the, the scene. They were like in their first year of college. So did that did those scenes interact at all at all? I think there was a definite. Div, there was some connection. Like for example, I met Thurston through Don Fury. Don Fury had oh, worked okay. with all those no wave bands yeah. like Glenn Branca. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so he would have been the connection. There was a connection between yeah. the scenes, and like any of those guys would have seen the bad brains and you know yeah uh, yeah and uh the ramones i guess went yeah stuff like that and um so there was a connection on that level but uh just from being at cbgb's so you know what i mean uh yeah. but it was they were definitely the the smart college kids and we were still like little uh little kids running around in the in the, in the mud was it the same way with that whole like Noiseville record scene because they like put out hardcore bands too but they also had all those bands that were like almost like what do they call it pig fuck music I think was the uh, the rate the music critic term for it back then I think it was curated to an art an artistic uh, contextually curated towards a, a putting it in, in not for like um, it's just sort of different being like a hardcore band on like in that context yeah. or like or being a hardcore band like Grand Royale or something like that yeah. it, it just means something different uh, it's more like it's a respect of the art form which is awesome but um, hardcore is such an awful sounding music if you're just <laughs> listening to it if you don't live the lifestyle of it, if you don't really embrace the ideals, it's just like awful sounding. Well, how did you guys look at these bands? Did you look at them because like they would talk about themselves being punk or would be? Uh, well, the, that kind of the, those are just they were just kind of the older generation to some degree, and that they were um, making yeah more art artistic music yeah and um we the new york hardcore scene was very very working class like uh you know cop firemen uh you know with sp sprinkling of you know uh you know kind of rich kids from manhattan not to, i don't know that's maybe not a nice way to, to characterize oh but like you know but like, you know the kids that had that came from different backgrounds that yeah. were just ex lived in the area that's yeah. just going on and were int they were music fans yeah okay basically but a lot of the kids, you know, from Queens, like that's where I was. It was like, you know, all working class kids. So the idea of doing it for an art idea would, you know, you couldn't even wear a CCCP shirt <laughs> at CBGB's. You would get your ass beat yeah. at that time. So uh, I think that those bands, while connected somewhat, was kind of like, uh, you know, evolu on a different evolutionary scale. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, although they weren't like popular, huge popular, they, but they were, you know, well, I think Sonic Youth were probably pretty well established by 1986. Oh, God, yeah. So they, they were, I guess at that point, they were already like on their way. You yeah, know, like I, was... they were they were in there already. So, I mean, th those, I was interested in that kind of stuff, but to be truthful, I was, you know, 14, 15 years old and, and very excited by Agnostic Front and the Chromax. So <laughs> yeah. when I hear Sonic Youth, it just sounded like garbage to me. For garbage for people that were older than me, and like they had a cool name and they were wasting it on this crappy music. <laughs> you know? it's, it's amazing to think about the like, 
you know, all these worlds that existed simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, at the same time Nirvana's happening, there's like Brotherhood happening too. And like uh-huh. the guys from Brotherhood just thought of Nirvana as butt rock. Yeah. But that's just like, you know, because hardcore, as you say, it's like, it's its own thing. I just don't think people understand um, how, I mean, I think people that are in it do, but like as a teenager at that time, like hardcore was so cool. It was just yeah. connected to skateboarding. It was totally underground. It was black and white. Like, black and white, like, looking. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, all the flyers were black and white. The zines were black and white. The clubs were black and white. It just had this, like, timeless character to it. And it was connected to skateboarding. It was connected to danger. And Mm -hmm. it was away from your normal high school life, which, you know, even in New York City, it it was like, um, you know, there's still that kind of... uh, hierarchy of you know like my high school is all cuisines and um i don't know you just don't you know we just don't fit in i think anybody can anybody anywhere can feel that feeling of just being like these people are cool or i don't like any of them or whatever it is but these are there's something more for me and to find that path and everybody's doing stuff everyone's got a job right mm-hmm. like your job is to dance cool your mm-hmm. job is to take pictures <laughs> yeah. your job is to be the bass player your job is to um, sell the t-shirts your job is to do the artwork you do the flyers you do the interviews everyone gets a job yeah and and that's awesome yeah and it's almost like you had to have a job yeah or otherwise what, why, what are why you doing are you here? here you're just yeah. you're just <laughs> you're just there you're taking up space you're gonna get you're gonna you're the guy that's gonna get hit <laughs> Yeah. Someone's gonna let you know. You the better. best mosher is gonna come over here and mosh you. You're gonna, you're, you're the guy that's gonna get hit, <laughs> or you're bo- gonna get bored and leave. Yeah, find a scene with more girls. Who, who was the best mosher in New York? Uh, there were so many cool ones. Um, Carl the mosher. Carl the mosher is pretty famous. Yeah. Uh, I think Ray Capo's, no, just magical acrobat. Like, yeah. I would say Ray is just the most graceful stage diver. Uh, he just seems like he's in his own little magical, you know, in like uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, and he has like that invisible force field, and he can just yeah. run. Every, he kind of has this like force field that he can just like he doesn't hurt anybody, and he doesn't get hurt, but he can do the most radical things. And there was other people that uh, are, are not maybe as well known that I thought were really awesome. There was a girl named Alexa Poldi who was uh, this girl. She just. She, on the one hand, she was a beautiful, beautiful girl. And uh, on the other hand, she looked like a human pit bull or like ripped from Harley's rib. <laughs> and she was the sickest stage diver and sickest dancer. And, you know, she was a woman or a girl, you know, at that yeah. point. But um, she was amazing. She's like some sort of like, uh, there should be like a graphic novel about a girl like her because she's just cool. You hear that about New York, that it was like, there was a lot more women involved in the New York hardcore scene than than a lot of other scenes across North America at that point. Might have been. Um, I think it just got, I think it, the problem with it, and I always wondered even then, I mean, there was a lot of girls there when I first started going. Yeah. Um, or a fair amount, but you know, there was majority guys, but probably, but, um, but there was a lot more. Um, I think because dancing is so violent and it became so much about that. It's like one of the main activities is dancing and it's like not to say that girls can't dance or take the violence because they can, but it does seem a little bit, even me, like... Well, eventually it becomes almost like 
confrontational to the point where like why would it's you the energy is just a little it's just there's a lot of male energy yeah. in there and it's not even just about the, the actual contact contact it's just like heavy male energy and i think that may be uh well it must have something to do it especially finding the, their, their place you know yeah. I mean? like what is my place basically your place is reduced to taking pictures watching you know like some kind of that side of it and there was a lot of like uh, bj Pappas took pictures mm-hmm. Um, uh, but there was girls that were involved that were just hanging out, you know what I mean? That were just into the scene and moving it. Um, but, uh, cause there's like no women in any youth crew bands from, yeah, that was really exclusionary. I mean, there I was some, there was some, were there, like, I can think of some later on, obviously to the present day, like some of the now best I think there's a, lot, there's a now, lot, now. which is awesome. It's it, definitely changed and for the yeah, better. I love that. But like, it's amazing when I go through, I'm just going through my mental index of like, youth crew bands or bands of that era. Yeah. And you can extend it to like, even like, just like straight edge hardcore bands going back to the first wave. Yeah. Not a lot of women represented in those bands. I mean, I think it'd be better, better thing to ask, to, to talk to a woman that was around at that time. Yeah, you absolutely. know what I mean? Or even, because now obviously it has a, an appeal. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the appeal of straight edge is straight edge. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And the music and the, and the kind of imagery and the sloganeering kind of made it easier to, to grasp I mean it's okay not to drink or use your head or break down the walls like these are all just like powerful slogans that you can connect to I don't know how it breaks down I haven't really thought thought it through except for that the dancing just seems like to some degree could be a turnoff I imagine there's also just like Actively exclusionary. exclusionary. And actively, it's a boys thing. It's like, in a lot of ways. I mean, it's a lot of like, like a lot of insecure sports. men going through. Yeah, it can be. A, a period in their life where they're, you know, not necessarily at their yeah. most balanced. And I imagine yeah. as a woman, it would probably be, you know, like, and, and this, I always thought this is my era too, that yeah. I'm like, right to like when I was going to shows because mm-hmm. there weren't, you know, it's not like today where it's a lot better now. Right. And stuff like that. Yeah, I think I think it's a, a very nice evolution. Did you like Nirvana when you heard them? Oh fuck yeah, I love them. Uh, I was on tour in Europe with uh, with uh, Gorilla Biscuits and uh, this guy Guy, who was a French guy, was teching with us. And we were at this time we were touring in France with uh, Bulimia Banquet, which was um, uh, homeboy from Black Flag. Uh, Des was in the band. <laughs> what really? So we're touring through. Through France, with I'm just talking with Des Kadana every day. But like, they must have not been on the same vibe that you guys were on. Oh no, they, they were way older. L.A. like we hammered we dudes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they weren't like they weren't like party maniacs. They had like a, the female uh, vocalist, if I remember correctly. They were just cool older guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, older people. Yeah. And I mean, not by old, they were like 23. Okay. But for oh me it's like Deskin is a black and flat black flag, he's got long hair and he's kinda just you know, looks older and, and seems wise, right? Yeah. Um and he was so cool. But anyway, we were over in France traveling around and uh, this guy Guy, who I think is still I haven't seen him since then, but someone else was just telling me about him recently and he's some sort of figure in France, like a, a lot of people know this guy. But he turned me on to uh Nirvani had bleach. Oh and and put it on the cassette in the van. And I was like, what? Uh, you know, that album was just mind-blowing to me. So, um, you know, I guess it, it didn't seem super long until, uh, 
Nevermind came out, but um, it's like a year, right? Two years. Yeah, about a something yeah, like that, a couple yeah. years. But it was, uh, you know, the idea of sub pop. I was so in my own track, and I was. Uh, I guess I would have been listening to. Um, probably still listening to a lot of hardcore. I guess at yeah. that point, and uh, but that it was heavy, and that it was. Sub pop to me struck me as like older people music. <laughs> Yeah, you know what I mean, like Mud Honey World. They were all all the bands were twenty five year old music. Yeah, it's like twenty five yeah. year old music. When you're a teenager in yeah. hardcore, like I'm, you know, I, I'm not judging it, but in some way, it's just like, yeah, it's older people music. Yeah, definitely. And it's funny because it's like you know, obviously, it all comes out of the same thing, and all like you know, most of the people in these grunge bands were in punk and hardcore bands too. Yeah, they all went through the revolution. Yeah. Summer. But it's amazing. <laughs> they all, <laughs> they all revolutionized themselves, you know. <laughs> they got wah-wah pedals, whatever it happens. And, uh, well, did you ever, you, you know, Bowling Point fanzine, right? Tim Singer's mm-hmm, fanzine. Mm-hmm. There's that one issue where they went grunge. Okay, they went grunge. Oh, yeah. I know oh my god, it's amazing. There's like this grunge issue, and then the next issue afterwards, the letter section is just like, "We hate you now." Fuck you guys. Like fuck this. Like long hair music. And is that the last uh, boiling point? There's like I think there's one after it. Well, there's like there's one where it goes grunge, and uh, there's definitely one that follows it up. So there's a letter section to have all the hatred. Oh, okay, and they and published vitriol. it. Yeah, they published it because they're so ethical. Yeah, they were just like, well, this is like how people feel about this great. direction we've gone in and stuff like that. Oh but, shit. I, I was not oh, following that one. That's classic. It's awesome. Well, I mean, that's what happens. And also, that was the exciting music. Yeah. You know what I mean? That was happening at that time. So they, you know, but, uh, you know, the thing about, you know, uh, clicks, especially when you're young, it's like if you leave the, cl- you know, if you leave the family, people get pissed at you. Definitely. Well, because it makes you feel insecure because it makes you yeah, feel Yeah, so weaker. now what am I doing? What am I doing here? What do you mean you broke edge? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, what's wrong? Dude, seriously? <laughs> You know? Did you get shit when you broke straight edge? I think I did it in a way that no one really busted my chops. Okay. I, uh, and I think I was okay if someone did bust my chops about it. I was like, I prepared myself. Like, if someone doesn't like this, I'm not necessarily going to go on stage with a beer and, and, and play that role. But, um, you know, I, I definitely thought it through to some degree. Yeah. Well, you're also, you're more like Wedge anyway. I'm sort of like, I Wine always... Wine and weed edge. Yeah, well, I'm just <laughs> Got kinda, the wedge. <laughs> that's a thing <laughs> I just invented it right now at the time no I was uh, I was um, I guess what was happening it's hard for me to remember but I yeah I was living like a, uh, a couple blocks from CBGB's on Rivington Street you know in quicksand wearing bell bottoms had long hair <laughs> you know what I mean I felt like it's fine for me if I want to drink a beer or smoke weed it's okay I'm 21 years old it's actually legal and uh and you know some people are going to be mad, and that's just going to be, it's it's the, what the future holds for you. People are going to be mad at you your whole life, <laughs> and you're going to have to cope with it. Yep. You know. Yep. People are forever going to bring up the Project X seven inch to you. Yeah, but it's all I love all this. So hell, I'm still straight edge in my heart. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. having that experience at such a crucial time, yeah. and knowing, um, you know, and I have so many friends that are still straight edge, and like what that evolution is, and what that's all about, like. Um, that stuff's great, you and, know. And all I having met like you know a lot of the people around that scene and and in these bands over the years, you're definitely the guy that's the most posy out of the positive hardcore movement. Yeah, that good. I've met, like legitimately the most positive. Good, good. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you know, uh, I think that's what I really connected to actually in all that stuff. Anyway, was uh, the uh, 
I guess it's between Minor Threat has this sort of like um, pissed off older brother vibe. Yeah. But the music is so powerful and um, kind of simple, but but so intelligent, um, but plain spoken. And then Seven Seconds is the other side of it. <laughs> yeah. And then I guess I guess the pyramid is complete with negative approach. And like I'm in all of those. Like that you're just in the middle. I'm kind of in the middle of all of those. And but, and for But it's a three D pyramid and down here is my bloody Valentine at the bottom oh of yeah, it. The and pyramid, you're like yeah. in that pyramid center. Oh for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean the pyramids and, and it's got some doors in it. It's got some doors. Some secret passages and it's pretty it's I thought you meant actually the doors. It's got some doors Oh yeah, it does have the it. doors. Yeah, it has right the now. doors in there too. Okay. But actually <laughs> There's there's some parts of the pyramid I haven't even discovered yet. You know yeah. what I mean? I've done, we got got like us. I'm doing like sonograms on the ground to try to like see what's what's up. Well, I'm telling you, I wanted to ask you this: Did your like love of shoegaze coincide with your discovering of cannabis? Uh it probably did coincide, but I wouldn't blame one for the other. No, no. Um, it probably made perfect sense. Yeah, at the time, exactly. Though. But I was in we were youth. Uh, sorry, youth day. Uh, quicksand. We're on our first when the uh, the Gulf War started, the first Gulf War. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, that sucked, but the airfare got crazy cheap. Yeah, like because no one, no one like, people were scared to fly, yeah. so uh, it was only two hundred fifty bucks to go to England. So I had some friends there. They booked us a tour, uh, and uh, we were over in England for three weeks. We went to Ireland as well, and we're traveling like a deep tour for England. You know, wow, it's a small and that's place. what you do with rival schools too. Uh, yeah, we did that as well. I mean, it's a it's a kind of country. If you get into the the depth of it in Canada too, like I'm doing that now. Yeah. You know, like if you dig in, there's like so many cool places that people don't go. And I like playing music for so many different reasons. And and certainly like having travel, you know, gaining experience and and just kind of recycling that into something else. You know, like even if it's just a cool story, mm-hmm. but if it's like becomes like um, you know, you're meeting people, so you're making making new friends and uh, getting turned on to new music. So there's this guy in London that we were hanging out with, and uh, I think he drove. He maybe put on our show in London. We're just hanging out, and you're hanging out at people's houses, like staying at their houses, yeah. staying up late, and just chilling and um, listening to records. And he played Is- "Isn't Anything," and I was just like, "What is this?" And I mean, you know, when you're talking about Sonic Youth, there was some sort of thread to it. Yeah. But it was just so much prettier to me and f- uh, in some ways funnier to me. Like, um, and uh, like Warm Inside or something. There was this kind of like disco side to it that I thought was really cool. And um, and it, and it and in a hardcore way, it also appealed to me when it sounded really bad. Like when it just sounded like, you can't hear the vocals. Yeah. Or like, yeah. it sounds like noise. Like that part of me was also excited by it. And um, and just the way people in England, especially at that time now, I don't know if it's the same or it's just not as powerful as it once was. But um, the way that they make things so sensationalized. And so it was just, I mean, at that time, isn't anything they weren't like, a sensation it hadn't yet. Hadn't hit the fever pitch yet. No, yeah. but but, but was, following the progress, you could, progress, feel, it, you could yeah. feel it coming. Yeah, and they're really uh, good at building bands. In England. Yeah, or or just like throwing them out there and then just well, they're, dumping them. Sorry, yeah. 
sorry, dude, it didn't work out. Yeah, they're got nothing for you now. They're good at killing them off too. But yeah, we really can't do anything for you, gay dad. It's over. <laughs> yeah, sorry. We put you on the cover. <laughs> we put you on the cover. That's the extent of our power. We got you like amazing, fe- one amazing festival season. You yeah, had a really good run, gay dad. But that's it. For they the said the, the people said no. Yeah, the people said no. <laughs> and it's like it's, but it's, uh, but you're right. Like they just they're, they're incredible at building this stuff up, and so, yeah. you know, like you get caught up in the hype. So when as the shoegaze thing, I was so. I felt like I got there in the first episode, yeah, to some degree, <laughs> and followed each thing that came out, you yeah. know. And uh, you know, Lush was putting out singles, and they would put out singles. So that became my scene, and yeah, probably smoking weed too at that time. And it's funny, like all the, you know, once again, it's that punk thing, you know. Like Kevin was a punk kid growing up, Kevin Shields. Yeah, um, the drummer from Lush was the drummer of Hard Skin. Okay, that fit joke oi band. Okay, uh, so, we did a split with them years yeah, ago. Yeah, oh, So it's like. There's like a, all these like you see that weird connection. It's yeah. like amazing how you just pick up on that stuff somehow, yeah. not not even like looking for it. Yeah, because all the cool people got into punk at some point. I mean that generation and skateboarding. Yep. You know, and that's kind of uh, at this stage of my life, I recognize that. And graffiti. And graffiti too. Yeah. Fred Freddie's got that book that just. Yeah, came it's out. true. I think Freddie definitely hit on something, and you know, the saying the new breed compilation that he put yeah. out is like, just he was at the the. What is it? The conf, the, the meeting point of of the uh, of something really kind of special, especially New York graffiti. Because mm-hmm. when we were growing up, like, you know, I was in the schoolyard and just like you, just it was happening. People were doing double Dutch, like break dancing <laughs> in the schoolyard. Like it's like that. That's the way it is. Yeah. Like that would be like playing on a box on the bus, <laughs> and it wouldn't be playing anywhere else. It would be like. Um, you know, it was real. It was local music. And it was like something really crazy because, you know, people around the country didn't really know. It wasn't like that. It no. wasn't popular. It was also, that's like the, it's New York at that period. Like that's the foundation of youth culture that we're living in now. Like that's where it's really like. A lot of its roots are there. Yeah. And so to have been in a situation where like growing up with that, like, um, you know, and it was just cool. Like, it wasn't like, you know, I'm getting great influences. I'm really at the birth of hip-hop right now. Yeah. You know, and I wasn't at the birth of it, but I was at the, at you know... You were there yeah. when it was happening. I was there when it was happening. I was in, you know, junior high with Double Dutch, and, yeah. and, and it was just amazing. And it wasn't even like... I was listening to ACDC, but you were there. Yeah. It was happening, and you would listen to the hip-hop songs because they were great, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, I mean, it was called rap yep. at that time. Yep, and it, it's uh, I don't know. It's just it's it's just it's so neat to think of that period where you have rap happening yeah. right beside like hardcore happening, yeah, punk happening a little bit earlier when raps first yeah. starting, and it's like those two genres. It's like everyone cool that you meet are connected it, to it. Are connected to it. And when I think of uh, actually going back to isn't anything, I think of boo do 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 boom 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 boom. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like these primitive hip hop. Yeah. You know that Kevin Shields is listening. Oh yeah, definitely to, to hip hop and yep. uh, influenced by it, or like even as Jungle was coming up yep. and following these these uh, kind of things. So I was following all that stuff. I mean, you know, hardcore to me was like because it's such like a movement kind of thing. Or I didn't think of it so much in that way. It was just something really cool that I was into. That I had a lot of friends that. We had shared interests, and like especially once we were in a band, mm-hmm. it was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, playing CBGBs and and you know developing this thing and getting to travel. You know, we're teenagers traveling to different places, but 
musically, I was always interested in different things mm -hmm. and before hardcore and during and, uh, you know, and certainly as a musician, as I started to kind of feel like not like any sort of self-awareness of like, yeah, I'm a musician. I need to do different things, but just a very natural inclination to want to expand the formula and to go someplace else and to like let go of the things that I know to, to, to hopefully land in some other place. Mm -hmm. And you've done it, you know, like, yeah, keep going. It's funny. I was talking to a guy today. I was talking to my brother today and we were talking about, about you. Mm. Hope your ears weren't burning. Mm. Um, but it was just like, you know, to be in one band and to do one meaningful thing in one genre mm. once, it's like a, a great achievement. Very few people get to do it. But to do it like time and time again with mm. different bands, mm. the thing speaks to, you know, the fact that you do have these interests. That you do, you are able to pull from your experiences to, to create art from them, recycle them into something else. But. Yeah, I mean, that's my, that's, I feel that, that I mean, when I play a Grill Biscuit show, I can feel like how this is so meaningful not only to the audience, but like certainly to me and to my friendship with these guys and like mm -hmm. that this, this resonates and continues to resonate. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. Like I would have been cool if I just did that and then became, you know, a fireman because yeah, firemen help else. people. Yeah. Like that would have been fun. You've been like, like George from Alexa on Fire. That's what he does. Yeah. Man. Like George, when I see George doing what he's doing, I think, damn, I love George. Yeah. It's no wonder me and him like are cool because yep. he's, I'm getting to watch some kind of thing that I would have been into. But as it turned out, you know, getting on a major label with uh, Quicksand, that's a major label, but the, the it, although it's not its not a lie, that I was able to do it professionally yeah. for some period of time under contract. So like for these two years, whatever, you can live in a cooler apartment and be legit. Mm -hmm. And, well, I took that. And then it just kept leading to other things to where it... it uh, you know, that became a thing. And then it's just, after a while, I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm, at some point, I just said, like, this is really cool that I ended up in this spot and get to make music with people I like and travel around and um, have these, uh, you know, I, I get to just kind of bounce off of that. Well, I think and also outside of the artistic influence you had on people, um, I think also showing that you didn't have to be afraid of success and that there was a way to try and find success through mm. music mm. while still not looking cheesy and corny. Mm. And and that was quicksand, you know, mm. like that was like one of those bands, one of the few bands that, that found that way or mm -hmm. carved that way oh, That's cool. for that's bands sweet. like myself and everyone that followed afterwards yeah. to kind of be like, Oh, there's a way you can, you don't have to just be worried about Ian. Yeah. Well, Ian played a big role, you know, he always plays say, a big role. You know, he still yeah. plays a big role yeah. in all of us. What's Ian going to think about this? <laughs> What's Ian going to think? Okay. Is he going to be totally pissed off or is he just going to, is he just going to roll his eyes? <laughs> okay. Roll an eye roll. I can live with, you know, uh, but I think it's just putting yourself into it is yeah. what counts. And if, and if, you know, there's nothing that I do that I'm, there's few things that I do that I'm like, um, I'm a hundred percent satisfied with that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I just really, everything worked on that. It's very rare that that happens in life. Mm. And so you have to accept by the basic element of your process that if you're backing it, um, that it's worthwhile. You know, I wouldn't, I've never done anything where I was just like, uh, I just phoned this in. And, and if I just phoned <laughs> it in, I, I would, I would probably, uh, I mean, there's been things that I think, you know, like, 
hidden tracks or something like that. It's because I didn't really back them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, rightly or wrongly. Yeah. You know, because sometimes I could do something that I think, oh, this is this is not cool. And then other people are like, oh, my God, that's the missing track that I love. And But it's just my process. I, I trust it to whatever degree or I accept it. Because there was one period when uh, Fucked Up was just forming where you had, like, a glut of projects that hadn't come out. Like, a lot of them have kind of come out now. Yeah. But you had, like, six or seven things that were kind of circulating in one form or another. Yeah, I didn't like that. I think that was bad for me, actually, because I I think I I know what you're talking about, and I've definitely learned from that. I think what what happened was... um, it's just, I think, a byproduct of the major label kind of world. Not to blame it on that, but it's just like my dealing with it. Because Quicksand had broken up, and when Quicksand run the label, as I said, it was cool because you guys are the geniuses. You know, <laughs> yeah. do what you're going to do. And we love you, whatever you do, you know. And um, and then it came to a stage where there was one day where Quicksand was broken up. I was signed still to the record label, so I had a contract, but they just wanted more demos. Yeah. And so I was in this new space where, like, not everything I do is awesome. And not everything that I did was awesome before that. But, like, now it was in this new place. So then they're creating some imaginary target for you to hit. So then you get to record a record. And the dynamic is now um, we are suspect of what you're doing. And we're going to approve it when we get around to approving it. Mm -hmm. And that I had never experienced that dynamic before. So there was a series of things that probably were really good, yeah. but didn't meet the criteria of the A&R staff, the A&R team, who were, could have been just interested in something else at that time, had nothing to do with the quality of my music or what I was doing. They were looking for Limp Bizkit. They were looking for Limp they could, Just the, the trend had <laughs> yeah. moved on, and they believed in me in some way, or maybe it was yeah. just cool to have me around. I don't know. But um, the target was moving. And so then I think to some degree, I lost some confidence in what I was doing. And... Uh, you know, eventually when I got back on track, I, I saw that, um, of course, like, I reserved the r- the right, and so that's not a right, but it's just like, I basically don't want to waste too much time making things that aren't going to come out or move forward, because I, unless I just don't think it's great, mm-hmm. you know, if it's, some things are just a step on the way, but I don't want to waste too much time doing it, you know, and if you have, like, two albums of unreleased material, you know, all that shit had eight tracks or 16 tracks or 24 tracks it's a lot of work and it's just sitting there waiting for the next Steve Aoki to bootleg it yeah well if Steve wants to bootleg it myself <laughs> yeah. I would take that as like totally cool thumbs up if he believes in it I believe in it <laughs> now, now it's like a, a record deal on Dimac you know yeah totally okay that was different circumstances totally but yeah but I, I think that's you know I think it's important to like just kind of you gotta you gotta pay attention to what you're doing and learn from it well you gotta play a show tonight yeah, this has been awesome. You're awesome. now part of the three club. Oh, really? Yeah, That's there's great. like you, good. MVP, Chris Callahan, uh-huh. and Lars from Rancid are the three club. That's the only one we have so far. That's magic. We're, we're, we're the few and the proud, my friend. So, I Walter, thank good. you for supporting this thing, buddy. You should have satin jackets. I want to make, like, Ribera... In wrestling, uh-huh. you can get this Ribera Steakhouse jacket in okay. Japan. Okay. If you're a wrestler, okay. and it's a satin jacket, and it says Ribera Steakhouse. So I want to do a turned out a punk jacket eventually. Okay, good, because if it said Steakhouse on it, I couldn't really No, you couldn't it. wear it. You couldn't wear it. You couldn't rock it. I know. <laughs> It'd have to be Tofu House. Yeah, if it was something more, like, on that level, I really just want to promote... <laughs> you know, I don't want to... Yeah. 
but that would be awesome. I think we deserve jackets. Let's okay, just say let's that. do the jacket. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Walter, for coming on the show again. Walter will be back for a part four, I can promise you, because we had a lot of fun. That was, you know, this podcast is always fun when I get to sit down and talk to people. But every once in a while, it's a lot, a lot of fun. And that was one of those examples. Um, so once again, Jesse Locke, thank you for making this happen. Tristan, Abraham, thank you for hustling to do this. And Zach, thanks for giving us a venue, because this was... Uh, you know, Zach Felberg, my homie, you know, your apartment's nicer than my office where I was going to force him to do the interview. He's not surrounded by records and cannabis paraphernalia and all that kind of stuff this way either. So, you know, it was it made for a much more uh, conducive with interview kind of scenario. Um, I guess I got to talk about what's coming up next week on the show. Well, next week on the show, there's going to be another guest. <laughs> I don't really know who it is yet, but it's going to be awesome. And uh, you will hopefully enjoy it as much as I enjoy making it. I'm in New York. I got to go get a plane now to get back home to Toronto. Um, so I just want to say once again, thank you everyone who consistently listens to this thing, checks it out, um, writes me, lets me know that they enjoy it. Uh, I enjoy doing it. I'm going to keep doing it. I apologize for the construction noise outside my room right now. It's uh, New York City, so or Brooklyn, New York, I should say. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of building going on around me right now. There's like a I'm surrounded by construction zones. So I apologize for that background construction noise if you're hearing that right now. Uh, but yeah, thank you everyone for your support of the show. And I'm going to keep doing it. I enjoy doing it, and uh, we're just going to keep keep going on this thing. And go out there and make your own culture, because really anyone can do this stuff. You go out there, you, you just you just got to work at it. You just really got to force yourself to do it, um, because you never know what could happen. So, thank you, everyone. Uh, love you guys. Have a safe week, and I'll I'll talk to you next. Bye.